Well, good morning. You can have a seat. We want to welcome you and remind you that's why we're here. Um, we're here because Christ is worthy, because he, he did die for us and made us a way to be family, made us a way to be um, his disciples so that we could live in his ways um, in this, in together as a family, but also in the world around us, and so that we would care well for them, and we would serve them, and we would be missionaries to them, and, and share their their need of Jesus, just like we have a need of Jesus. Also, um, I just want to remind you, Brad and Morella are here. Um, they're going to be joining us um, in June, and Brad's going to be speaking today um, from John and continuing in our series on John. And so, if you haven't met them yet, make sure you meet them, and their kids are here too. It's the first time you're probably going to meet them as well. Um, so let me, I want to read from, there you go, uh, from Psalm 100 as we continue to worship God. It says this, Shout the joy for the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people and the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. And that's really what we're here to do. We're here to celebrate that, to continue to celebrate the good news of that from now until all generations until Jesus returns. So why don't we stand and we'll continue to to worship this morning. Good morning. Few people thought it was a good morning. The rest are upset about it. Um, well, it's really good to be back. I, the last time I was here, I said I won't be back until I move, which was a lie. So, started off on the wrong foot. Uh, now I'm a liar for everybody. But I wanted to to begin. Well, first, it's it could be neat. We could try this. Does anyone here want to ask me any questions before I ask you guys questions? And then I'll answer them, and it can be like a, a get-to-know-each-other game. No? Yes. Yeah, that's a great question. My name is, uh, my name is Brad uh, Watson, uh, and I am a pastor at the moment in Portland, Oregon, and I'm moving down here in June to, to help pastor and lead and serve this church. Yeah. And I have a, my wife. Her name is Mirella, uh, like me, Ray, La. And then that's our son, Truman. And we have two daughters that are older. Uh, Nora is going to be in kindergarten next year. And then Maite is two. And she's in her class, I guess. Or running around somewhere. <laughs> crying for us. Yeah, Winston. How did you and your wife How did we meet? That's a great question. We met, <laughs> we met when I was uh, 12, and uh, she was a different age. But we met in middle school. Uh, we met at this, this time, we met in our small little church in Lisbon, Portugal, which is where we both grew up. Uh, she's Portuguese, Brazilian, U.S. dual tri-citizen. And uh, we met in our little local church there in the, the heart of the city of Lisbon. So we kind of grew up together, but we didn't become friends until college. We both went to the same Christian college in Oklahoma, uh, which is a very different place than Lisbon. And we met there, and I, we or we became deep friends there, and then fell in love and all that. What school? 
Oklahoma Baptist University in Shawnee, America. He's from Shawnee? I know. Yeah. We, we cruised the poo. You cruised? We did? Uh, they don't remember anything. They don't remember anything that I say. That's trip. trip is always reminding me, look, these people will not remember anything you say. We'll, we'll do one more question if, if there's a burning desire for that. Yeah. Uh, we've been in Portland for eight years. Yeah, so we moved there, uh, felt like God was leading us to be there to help build, uh, like, the capital C church. We didn't really know or have any plans. Our church in Oklahoma sent us with the plan of, you're going to see what God is doing and and maybe join some work that God is doing or start a new thing. And uh, we became part of this very early stages of a church plant called Bread and Wine. And we started a, a missional community in southeast Portland. Uh, with some of our, our good friends and neighbors, and then that uh, kind of evolved into us joining staff a few months later and helping lead the church for the last six, seven years. Yeah, it's seven years, because they just gave us a sabbatical on the seventh year, and we're moving, so joke's on them. <laughs> cool. So we're going to be reading the, the the Gospel of John, like Tripp said, we're going to read chapter 17 today. We'll read it through different moments through this preaching and teaching. And uh, I want to begin with a question that you all get to answer, which is, what, what do you ask people to pray for? So when, whenever you get the opportunity to ask someone to pray for you, what, is, what are the things that you ask for? Contentment. Contentment. Success in my career. Success. Something Sorry? Something Just for something to happen? The things I want, extra favor, not extra of God's favor, I think it's relationship. Yeah. Go in my pile. Go in your pile. What are some of the things to pry? Like, um, success um, in job searches or yeah. um, that my goals would work out. Yeah. So when, whenever someone asks you, how can I pray for you, you can ask them to pray for one of those agenda items, and, and somehow you're, you're getting the, the power meter up to the top. Yeah. yeah. There was some hands over here. Yes. Yeah, that's awesome. Wisdom. Wisdom. I mean, sobriety and inner peace. Yeah. That's awesome. Yes. Patience. Someone said patience. Yes. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. There's a lot of like clarity. Like I just want God to reveal His plan very specifically, very clearly, and very quickly. Yeah. You want a memo from God? Yeah. Yeah. More compassion for people. People to come to Christ. For people to come to know Jesus, yeah. I think this passage, one of the... So first of all, there have been many people who have dedicated their entire life's brain work towards this passage to somehow make it uh, understandable. Uh, and 
believable and true and clear to us. There, and there are many volumes of books that have been written about just the devotional value of this passage. Uh, this is a passage where Jesus, uh, after giving all of his speeches and that, that final meal with his disciples, uh, which is actually just this beautiful picture of what we would maybe aspire for every missional community family meal to be like whenever we get together. We kind of hope that it would somehow be like this, these last four chapters of, of John that you've been reading where people gather together, they serve one another, they take uh, communion together, they pray for each other, they do all of these things with Jesus at the center. And we'd say, oh man, that's, this is, like if you want to know what the ideal missional community family meal is, you would see John 13 through 16. And that would be, that would be the stuff that we'd hope to see happen. But after all of the, that discourse and all of that teaching, uh, a lot of it as well is Jesus sort of leaving his disciples with a final word, kind of a final farewell speech. Uh, it's, a, it's a common thing that uh, even literature form where, where a person gets to the end of their career, their life, their ministry, and they say, this is the most important stuff. So after Jesus has said all of that, he gives this prayer. Uh, and we get a picture into, the longest picture, into the prayer life of Jesus. In all of the Gospels, we're, we're always given the picture and the idea that Jesus is frequently praying. He's frequently going and spending time with the Father. He's, he's getting away and removing himself from the disciples to pray. We even see little prayers that he's giving publicly and thanks for food and things like that. But this is a whole chapter dedicated to the prayer of Jesus. And so we'll read it in parts and sort of go through it, and we'll begin to understand, I think, uh, what it is that he's actually praying for, for us. Uh, what would we ask Jesus to pray for if he came to us and said, could I pray for you? Uh, could I intercede on your behalf for the Father? Which we know through the whole of New Testament that that's one of the things that Jesus does is pray and intercede to the Father for us. So this is a picture of what he's actually doing. So John 17, verse 1 says this, When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son, that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him all authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you are the only true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you once before the world even existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you have gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know everything that I have given, that, that now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. For I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Jesus begins his prayer by praying for himself, by, by focusing uh, his time on what he is hoping God to do in him. Uh, this is a beautiful picture of, of what he actually wanted the Father to see and to know about his own life. 
It's pretty remarkable. There's a few things in here that, that are worth noting. First, he prays that his whole life would have glorified God. That his life would have brought glory to God. That, that he would have even demonstrated and shown his, God's glory to, to those around him. Uh, and then he even, as he's praying that, he says that, that in this final hour, make me glorify you. He also backs that up with, and I have glorified you. I've done all the work that you asked me to do. I've done it. I've glorified you. Uh, glory is, you know, one of the things that we get to, to throw out a lot. You know, at Walmart for a long time, had a pair, like a denim brand, sub-brand called Faded Glory. Anyone wear those jeans? No, not in L.A., never. Uh, I, uh, but yeah, there's, we, we use that all the time in language. Glory gets added a lot to uh, our terminology when we describe war, probably in this subversive way of trying to say that it's okay, you know, that, that war is, is, is somehow glorifying, that, that we can go out in a, in a blaze of, of you know, bombs and somehow that brings glory to ourselves if we, if we go out that way. Uh, but in the scripture, glory and God's glory is always connected to people terrified with their lives. To, to come in contact with all that God is. One of the helpful ways for me to understand God's glory is to imagine all of the beautiful, magnificent, wonderful things in our world that we see. And even outside of our world as, as you know, astronomers and astronauts gaze to the very depths of our universe and discover all of these magnificent things, if you could compile all of those things into one tiny beam of light, you would, you would have God's glory. If you were to, to pull and to stretch all of that stuff, every, every grand canyon, every mountainous vista, every peaceful vineyard, and you, and you pulled all of that together. Uh, recently, we, Miral and I got trapped in an Instagram feed about humpback whales and just the massive size of them. And this guy was using a drone to film them, and it was pretty incredible. You should check it out. I don't even know what you search for to get there because it was several clicks in or something. But uh, if you were to compile all of that majestic, glorious stuff into one thing, Jesus is saying, I embodied that. Like, that, that's what I was. All that, the, the power to form and create the universe, everything good and right and perfect and wonderful, God's glory that, that before Jesus simply brought people to uh, a horrifying fear is now made personal in him. And he says with confidence, every action that I did, every word spoken, every gaze I had into someone's life, every time I listened to someone, every laughter I had, every running, every fashioning of, of whatever it was with my hand, every meal, all of that was a display of God's glory to other people. That, that was all his glory. Uh, one commentator says that the first accomplishment of the incarnation is that Jesus displayed all of God's glory to the whole world. That, that Jesus coming into the world, as you read in, in John chapter 1, was all of God's glory made visible, touchable, displayable to the world. And Jesus is praying, this is what my life's work was all about. Jesus' work was not about coming and being a kind teacher. 
He wasn't about uh, starting a political revolution. It wasn't merely even to, to display what kindness looks like to others. It was his whole uh, primary accomplishment was God's glory. All of it was revealed in Jesus. And then he prays also. He says that he prays that, that his name... Uh, that he has manifested God's name, the Father's name, to the people that he had given him. This, the second Je- thing that Jesus says is that he has revealed the very character and name of God. I think for us, we think a name is just a name. We can change it. We can abbreviate it. You know, you can go by, you know, my initials are B-A-W, so I could go by Ba, I could go by B-A. Uh, I could, my real name is Bradley, but that's too many syllables, so we shorten it to Brad. Or, or if someone has a difficult name, uh, if, you, if you move here from some other culture, some other you know, linguistic tongue, a lot of times what you do is you change your name entirely so people can say it. Uh, I remember I got tired. My name in Portugal, people would call it Bred, or they'd go, Brad, like Brad Pitt. And I'd be like, so then people would call me Pitt. Or it was just, but my name sounded like bread, the way they said it. And so then people called me Pão, which is bread in Portuguese. But it's also kind of a, Pão is also like doughy, you know? So it was, it was accurate in the sense of, I am doughy, and I've always been doughy. Uh, so sure, you can call me Pão. Uh, my older or my younger brother, uh, we were both uh, musicians together. We had a band. His name was Grant, and they said, "Oh, Grant, like whiskey, because there's a, a really good uh, Irish whiskey blend uh, back in the day. They like it in Europe, called Grants." And so our band was called Whiskey and Bread, uh, which is funny because it's only like much later that I actually tried that combo out uh, and realized that whiskey and bread is just bread and bread, right? <laughs> anyway, all that to say is. We don't really understand the power of name. Uh, in, in the culture where Jesus is praying this, a name reveals the inner character of an entire person. So it's not just, oh, you are kind of doughy, you know, so this is your nickname now. It was to reveal the very name of God is to, is to reveal his entire character, his entire identity. And so Jesus is saying, I manifested your name. Your name was made clear and visible and physical in my life. Every, uh, the character of God, it, his grace, his goodness, his anger, his patience, his uh, abounding loving kindness is made physical in Jesus. So all these things that we said about God's glory, every you know, touch, every healing, every word spoken, every teaching, every time he even just read the scriptures, Jesus was clearly showing the world the identity of God like never before. Uh, even earlier in John, uh, he says, before Abraham, I am. And he uses the same phrase that God had given Moses and all of the, the Israelites to identify him of, my name is I am. And then throughout the the Gospel of John, he shares seven I am statements, trying to make clear who God is and his character. Uh, He says, I am bread, which comforted me. Uh, He says, I am the bread of life. I'm, I'm here to be consumed and devoured, and I alone will sustain you. I'm the essential 
thing that you must take in. That's the identity and character of God. He says, I am the light. Like, you cannot see, you cannot know, you cannot understand without me. I am light. He says, I am the gate. Through me, you are protected and cared for and made secure. He says, I am the shepherd who goes out and knows you and cares for you. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. Meaning, uh, I am the only way to pass from death to full, beautiful life. Your, your groaning, dead bones, your, your zombie-like existence can only be made full and complete through me. The very character and essence of God is that he is resurrection. And he says, I am the way and the truth. There's, there's a path to walk, to have this abundant, beautiful life, and it's the character and the identity of God. Jesus isn't just saying, hey, I point to the way, or I, I show you a map. He says, I, me, I'm the way. As the bread, as the light, as the gate, as the shepherd, I'm it. And I'm truth. And then the last of the seven sayings is, I am the vine. I'm the one that you have to abide into and be connected to, to, to exist. So in all of this, Jesus is, is saying, and his prayer to God was, look, I have made your name, your identity, your character clear through my life, my whole essence of my being. And then he prays, continuing for himself, he prays uh, for what he did with his life in the making of disciples. He says, Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you, and I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them, and they've come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. Uh, Jesus says, not only was, did I exist in this world to, to display your glory, not only did I make your name known through, through my own life, but there was a purpose to it. Jesus praying for that purpose, that, that he, it wasn't just a, an amazing magic trick that God did for the universe. Let me show you the incarnation. Ta-da, done. Come back next century for something else. He's saying... I I sent the Son, the Son came, the Son manifested God's glory and His identity and His character so that people might experience and taste and know the eternal life. And he says in verse 3 what that actually is, this eternal abundant life, that people would know the only true God and Jesus Christ whom He sent. See, the the purpose of all of this that, that cannot be missed God's glory, His character, is all a revelation that we would know who God is. And he's saying this is the only life to have. There's no other version of life than this. Uh, You you might call it gutsy if he wasn't the manifestation of God's glory and character to say this, but but he's confident because he is If you do not know me, you are dead, and there's no life. If you're on some other path, there's no truth in it. If you're you're abiding in something else, 
you're going to wither and fade without any fruit. If you want to go find and be your own shepherd, you want to go build your own fortress, go ahead. It's just death. Jesus came so that people would know, they would receive, and they would believe. That only life is found in him. And that Jesus did all of this revealing of his name, of his character, so that there would be disciples of Jesus. And he was excited about it, and he prayed for it. That there were people that had come to know the one true God. Had come to see it, had come to taste it. Jesus is praying in his final hours with his, with his disciples, my life has been actually a rich success. It's pretty marvelous, right? And, and this, by the way, is hopefully uh, why, like this is a church made up of missional communities, communities of people that are centered around the gospel and living life on life on mission, right? This is what our church is about. Uh, the 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 hope of all of those is this stuff that Jesus is praying. That, that within those communities, we would actually taste and see and know the very glory of God in all the ways that I described it. That through your lives with one another and through your living in the world and, and all your comings and goings and every part of what it means to participate and be a family together, that you would actually see the glory of God. And that what you would taste and see from those communities would be the very character and the very identity of God in your lives. What is the hope and the longing? It's for this to be made known and to be made clear. That you would be a person that would come to know and see and believe and receive this eternal life. Like if your community is about something other than that, um, you know, good luck trying to pursue a community where people are nice. I mean, being a nice community is just not sustainable, is it? Or, or being a community that's active and does stuff, is that enough? No, that's not enough. I mean, you people are hard to love, right? <laughs> but if the hope and the expectation, and we should have far higher expectations, is that we would actually know the glory of God that we would actually see his character. That we would know, we would receive, and we would believe. Jesus continues by praying for these disciples, people like us, who are saying, we do want that. We We want that abundant life. We're following you. And this is what Jesus says, I'm praying for them. I'm not praying... For the world, but for those whom you've given me, for they are yours. He, he makes this shift now. Instead of praying directly for himself, he prays for, uh, for disciples. He says, all are mine, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. I'm no longer in the world, but they are in the world. And I'm coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you've given me that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you've given me, and I've guarded them. And not one of them has been lost except the son of destructions, that the scripture might be fulfilled. But now I'm coming to you. And these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. 
I've given them your word, and the world has hated them because they are not of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate, consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. This is Jesus' prayer for you. Like, whenever you're asking somebody, man, could you pray for me? Whatever it is that you're asking, this is what Jesus is turning it into. It's kind of a bizarre interpretation, translation of your prayers. Every time you're saying, God, I would really like a better job. I'd like success in my career. I would really love for this community that I'm a part of to get along. I really wish our community would go and do something out there. Or when you're praying for, God, I just want to get that job. I want to get that apartment. I want to have a good school for my kids. I want my kids to behave. Help me be patient. Uh, Give me uh, a better camera. Give me better shoes. Anytime we're praying for that stuff, This is what Jesus is praying for you. And it's oddly similar to what he's praying for himself. He prays that people would be united, that the disciples would be united. One of the things that I love about this passage is all of the requests are plural. Never is it some sort of singular thing. Like, I'm, you know, I pray for Peter, this one thing. I pray for John, this other thing. He's saying, I'm praying for them because they are mine and they are yours. It's always pr- plural. And he says that he prays for them to be united and to remain united, uh, that they would be one. Unity is kind of a thing. You know, that we have a shortage of these days, maybe. Uh, What is unity? What do you think unity is? It depends. It depends. You can have unity, like, we all could claim unity as Americans because we're under the same flag, but the same government, the same country. Right. We can claim unity as Americans because we all believe in and subscribe to the same values and ideals. Right. So American values. Yeah. We unify under those ideals. Yeah. And since we all hold them, it unifies us. Right. So the question becomes, what's unifying us? Right. Yeah. There has to be something outside of ourselves. In Portland, I don't know if you have these signs here, but we have signs all over our neighborhood that says, in our America, all of this is true. Do you all have those signs here? Oh, man, you should, they're crazy. Uh, it's like a flag, and the red and the white has these words on them. Uh, but what, it's crazy because I, I think, and I'm pretty certain, you could go to other parts of America, and they say, in the real America, this is what we do. Right? What else is unity? I am just supposing maybe it just means more of one 
So that we're one mind, but we're yeah pursuing the same in our differences, similar thing. I'm guessing. I don't know. Well, basing off which same one mind, but also one purpose. You yeah. We have all one purpose. Right. Being under the same yeah, having the same authority. That's good. I think there's like a difference between uniformity and yeah. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah, there's a deference to one another. I think it's that mother Teresa quote. It's like we cannot forget that we belong to one another. Mm-hmm. Like this idea of being for each other's best benefit. Right. Regardless of background. Right. For each other in a positive mm-hmm. way that's protective and uplifting and encouraging and benefiting. Right. Yeah, we won't belong until, or we won't have peace until we realize we belong to each other. Yeah. That, that Teresa quotes in Chris and Katie's basement I saw yesterday. <laughs> yeah. Well, and if you, like, the way, he, the way it's worded here with Jesus talking about us being one as mm-hmm. him and God and the Spirit are one. Yeah. Which, I mean, they are the same yet different. Like, it's right. way deeper than all of these things. It is us knowing each other to our cores. Yeah. It's a lot. Right. And that is the... The, the bizarre part of this passage is that he's saying this, the same way that, that the Father and the Son are one and united is how the disciples of Jesus are to be one and to be united. Uh, that the, that the, the Father and the Spirit and the Son are always mutually loving, giving, receiving for the same purpose, each other. Uh, they, they don't just have this unity uh, for its own sake. I think a lot of times we become champions of that. If only we could be united. Um, or uh, often I think the way unity is won in our culture is, is through war or through legislation or through, you know, not with, with bombs and missiles, but we win unity through if we could just win this election, we could be a unified country, Right? Uh, if we could just uh, get everyone to follow the rules in our little neighborhood, we would be a unified neighborhood. If we could all ascribe to the same things, then we would be unified. But what, what Jesus is describing is oneness and an intimacy and a knowledge of each other. Uh, I love, there's a, my you know, favorite unity passage perhaps is in Ephesians chapter 4. And this is what uh, Paul describes He says, uh, be eager to maintain the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. This is in chapter four. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and father of all who is over all and through all and in all. 
Uh, our unity is actually won by the fact that we have the same, as someone said, authority. We have the same purpose. We have the same Savior. We all come to each other as children of God who do not deserve to be children of God. We all come to God as, as citizens of the kingdom who didn't do anything to earn that citizenship. We all come uh, as uh, foreigners and strangers and slaves to sin, and we become free under the gospel, not because we deserved it or earned it or worked hard for it, but because of God's unbelievable grace and salvation and the fact that he is king that opens the gates and says, this is how you become a citizen of my kingdom. And so if, if that is true, if that's how we all come into this faith, then, then the unifying factor is actually, as, as he's describing, that they've all received and come to know and come to believe in the same Lord and Savior and God. That's why we are unified. Uh, that's the, the things that break unity are whenever we're saying, no, I've earned this, and I have this, so you better get on my team. Or we say, well, I've done all of this work for this community. I'm the one who showed up. I'm the one that opens my house. I'm the one that cleans and washes all the dishes. Therefore, like, I get to tell you how we're going to do it. Or we say, but I'm the one that has all these problems and all these ailments, so you need to do it for me. Right? These are the things that break unity. Instead of when we, we actually come and say, it's not really my, my pride and my ego are left at the door or at the very seat of the cross, and I come in just like you as someone in desperate need of this life that Jesus is talking about. So he prays that we would have unity like that. But there's the, the purpose is actually beyond. He's praying that, that he would be glorified in us. So in the same way Jesus is saying, my life has glorified God, he's, he's praying that our unity and our oneness together would, would bring glory to God as well. that we would be instruments in the world, uh, that this, this unity would be somehow used not just to survive because the world's so hard and harsh, that we'd be unified and we would exist, but that our unity would be like the unity of, of God, the Father, the Son, and the Spirit, and that we uh, overcome the world, that we show the glory of God in the world. He also prays that we would have strength and perseverance that we would make his name known. He says that in, in verse 11. He says, Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you've given me, that they may be one, even as you and I are one. He prays that, that our existence as disciples would somehow also clarify and demonstrate and articulate the very identity and character of God to each other, but also beyond He's saying, I pray for them to know and receive and glorify me and to make my name known in the world. He prays for them to, to be sustained by their joy being fulfilled. That, that, that they would be full of his joy. That all of the joy that Jesus has in pursuing uh, his life, his death, his resurrection, we would have completely in ourselves. Does anyone want joy in their lives? 
the, the, the deep confidence that victory has been won. I uh, really like this BBC show that um, most people have never watched. It's like old, like before it was cool to watch BBC shows. But uh, there's a show, it's about a detective during World War II. And it takes place in a small town in the south of England. And there's all this crazy stuff that's happening. There's, you know, it's a BBC show, so each episode's an hour and a half long. And there's only eight episodes per season. And and I... One of the things that's amazing is as the war uh, began to come to a close, World War II, there was this long stretch where everyone knew that the war was won by the Allied forces, by America and England and Canada and, you know, the good guys, if you want to subscribe to that, Uh, that the war had been won, but Hitler refused to uh, surrender. And so there was this... There's crazy amounts of of bombing and pursuing his surrender. But Hitler refused to even have that idea, right? So it was causing all this strife. But there were months of people knowing the war was over. And what I love about the show is there was that that season, there's these people that are putting up the... Uh, they're gathering around all the celebrations. They're having meetings to say, when, when he surrenders, this is what we're going to do. They have committees that set it up. There are children that are putting together all the flags and they're cutting the confetti, all saying, hey, when that comes, we're gonna, when he surrenders, we're going to throw the biggest party. People have bought or pulled out and dusted off their rich scotch that they knew when this war is over, we are pouring a glass and we are drinking it in full. Uh, they had done all of this, but in true English fashion, you know, they wouldn't get excited. Anyone hear English? Uh, <laughs> You're not. Are you English? Mm-hmm. Oh, well, sorry. Mixed, You're a mix. You're British. I don't say British. That's why I sound mixed. Oh, okay, good. Uh, so they're they're reserved in in what they're expecting, and then finally, uh, the news comes through all of the land that they hear it on the radio. the The King of England recites that the war is over, and it's in that moment that everyone. Uh, pours their glass, gives their cheers, goes out, puts the flags up, and celebrates. Uh, And I like that story because for us, I think a lot of times we think joy is just happiness or being positive. But, But joy is actually that whole story where we know with confidence this victory has been won and it's complete and I... I am standing on the cusp of the greatest celebration the world has ever known when God dwells with men and when the the center of this beautiful, vibrant humanity is God dwelling with us and the healing of all peoples. And we say, that's already happened. That's already to be accomplished. And so we experience joy today. We experience joy in the future and that it can be uh, complete. Uh, Jesus also prays that we would be made holy. Uh, He says, sanctify them. In truth, your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself that they may be sanctified in truth. Uh, To be sanctified just means to be set aside for a specific purpose and work for God. It's not about being perfect, but it's about... Uh, us being aligned with God's passion, plan, purpose, His presence in the world. 
God prays for us to be holy. And as we see here, it's a holiness for the sake of the world. Uh, Holiness is always connected to the mission of God, the purpose of God, for people to be filled and to know the glory, to know the name of God, to know the character of God, to, to understand and drink the joy of God, to have an abundant life, which is to know the true God and his son, Jesus. It's always connected to that. It's not, holiness is not about, can we set up these communes around the place with huge walls so that if people come in, they can become part of the team. It's actually, the holiness is, we've been set on a task and a purpose which is a completely unique and other in our world. Uh, the, the purpose of our lives is not uh, outlandishly really wonderful careers. The purpose of our life is not perfect children that do what we say and obey on the first time. The purpose of our life is not uh, to make sure that they go to the right schools or that we go to the right schools or that we get good grades. All of this is the stuff of life, but that's not the purpose and trajectory of our lives. The purpose and trajectory of our lives is actually this mission that God has given us, that he's, he's set us aside to do this thing where the glory of God and the name of God is known through our lives, through the way that we handle our careers, the way that we pursue our vocations, and the way we pursue the way that we parent our children, the way we pursue our neighbors and the least among us. It's through all of that that we get to show off the glory of God and make known his character but that's not the, the, the essence of our life. Uh, one of the, the main things that we do uh, to destroy our own souls is to take the things that God has given us to find worship in him, and we turn them into the objects of our worship. God's given us children so that we might worship God and know what it's like to receive the kingdom. But instead of taking them as that gift and saying, wow, look at this child that God's given me so I can worship him, we take the child and worship the child. Uh, we take the home that God's given us and we worship the home instead of the God who's given us the home. And this is a completely other kind of holiness. This is uh, idolatry. Holiness that Jesus is praying for us is that we would actually have this wor- life where we are sent into the world knowing the truth, knowing the word, and making his name known to others. Uh, the prayer goes on, and he wraps it up by praying for all the people that will believe through our lives. Uh, the, the, he prays for those who do not believe at the moment he's praying for this, which we get to be included in that. Uh, he prays for this whole thing to move beyond. And I doubt we have time for me to describe all of it. Uh, but I would just say that... Uh, that glorifying God, making his name known, being holy for the sake of the mission of God, being set apart for this whole unique purpose, that's the stuff of what our missional communities are all about. Like, what are we, what are we trying to do through them? What are we trying to see happen? Try to see that happen. People would actually taste and see the glory of God and know his character. That we would be set apart for that purpose. And then in this last part, Jesus is praying for what we for this dream of what would happen through our community scattered across the city. And there's just one phrase that I think is, uh, or two, that I think worth saying here. 
I mean, it's all worth saying, you know, it's like in the Bible. But uh, worth saying with my last bit of time. Verse uh, 23, he says, um, or just 22, I guess. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them. That all who believe get the glory of God. That they may be one even as we are one. And in them and you in me. That they may know, may become perfectly one. So that the world may know that you sent me and loved them even as you loved me. said, Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given me, may be with me where I am. To see my glory that you've given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. Jesus' prayer for uh, the millions of people that surround your daily life is that they would receive the glory of God. That they would know that, that God sent the Son into the world. That they would even know and taste and see and have this deep conviction that they uh, know the love of God. The love of God that existed before the foundations of the world. Uh, That God didn't decide to become a loving God after humans screwed up the world, but that God was always a loving God. Destining himself to pour it out to to the millions of people, the throngs of people that surround our daily life. So that the world would know that God sent Christ and that loved them with this deep love. And that the love of God would be in them. So now, as I finish, uh, let's not waste our lives on any prayers less than this. Jesus' prayer for us is that we would have an abundant vibrant, wonderful life with God. If, if we're going to pray for, these, for our communities to be better and healthier or nicer, let's pray that it would be so that the name of God would be known, that the glory of God would fill it. Why would we, why would we see the, the promise of the Father saying, I'm... I'm going to make you holy. I'm going to keep you. I'm going to guard you. I'm going to bring you peace and joy. And then I sort of walk around saying, I would just really, I know you're offering this abundant, full life. But you know what? I would rather just, you know, get a PlayStation or more Twitter followers or uh, a little bit kinder children. If we're going to pray for kinder children, let's at least pray that through that process that God's working through us, we would know His goodness and His grace like we haven't known before. That we'd actually raise our expectations when we go to the, to the God of the universe that made and formed our world with the smallest atoms and the ever-expanding galaxies. That we would come to that God who's Lord over all and in all, and we would say... I want your glory and your joy, and I want to be unified with these people that you've called me to do life with. Jesus is praying for the glory of God in you. God's praying for the love of God to be in you. 
The same love that, that drove Jesus to the cross is the love that he's trying to give to us. And why would we pray for, uh, you know, wonderful careers that last 40 years when God's saying, I want to pour my love into you. So if we're praying for our careers, may we pray that it's so that the love of God would be made manifest and made known to us in our careers and through our careers. God is is calling us to unity with Him, that we would be one with the Father and one with the Son and one with the Spirit. Why would we settle for just praying, hey, this conflict that I'm happening, I wish we could dial it down and change them so we don't have to have this conflict anymore. Shouldn't or couldn't we pray for a, a unifying oneness with God in that relationship? And it's not only that, that this is what God is saying, that he's praying for us, but he's praying that through us, we would share God's glory, his holiness, his love with the world. So if we're going to pray for those things that we shared before, may we pray them uh, for uh, a lavish outpouring of God's joy among people that we don't think would receive it. That we would pray for uh, God's holiness to come to people's lives that we've already forgotten about. That, that what we are doing in our lives, our going to the store, our fighting through that I've experienced this week, traffic and the endless stoplights. I mean, somebody who laid this city out was like, I really love red, yellow, and green, but mostly red. Uh, <laughs> as, we, as we struggle through all of that stuff, as we... Uh, discern what to do with our daily budgets and all of those things, they would actually have this rich expectation that God's actually showing his glory to us there and he's actually showing the glory of God through us there. Let's pray. Jesus, it's hard to pray publicly after you've taught about prayer. Uh, Father, I do pray this all for us, that we would uh, we would see our 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 lives uh, become more unified with your life. I pray for an abundant, clear, um, yeah, just a discernment of your glory, that we would have eyes to see it, that we wouldn't blind ourselves from seeing and knowing your glory in every frustration or struggle. Um, Give us ways to graciously pray for others. Uh, Even as people ask us to pray for uh, problems to be solved, that we would actually turn those prayers into uh, prayers for your glory and your love. Uh, Thank you, Jesus, for always being the one that intercedes and advocates for us to the Father, uh, that, that turns these prayers, uh, these, these even childlike requests and petitions, you turn them to a beautiful praise and clear uh, request to the Father. Uh, thank you for the way that you have 
made yourself holy by giving yourself to the cross and that you are glorified and that every uh, name, person, knee will bow and praise you for who you are. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Amen. What we do now is we're entering into a time of response, and so we're going to go to the back. There's communion back there, and there's offering back there where we respond to these things. But as Brad was teaching, one of the things that I was continually reminded of is that the good news of Jesus' prayers is that they actually were answered. He brought glory to himself at the cross and at the resurrection. And because of the cross and because of the resurrection, there can now be unity as a family in the oneness of who he is. And so as we go to the table, that's what we remember, that's what we're celebrating, that, that Jesus did bring glory to himself so that we could then be one with him. And so we get to celebrate that, we get to pray those things, remind each other those things. And so I want to encourage you to go to the table with others and to pray those things that that Brad just shared about, that Jesus prayed for us, that God would bring more glory to himself in us and through us, and that we would be one, that we would have a central purpose of bringing glory to him and honoring him in all the things that we do and we say. So I want to pray, and then um, when you're ready, we can head to the tables in the back. Father, thank you that um, that Jesus' prayers didn't fall on deaf ears, but that you answered them perfectly um, by sacrificing your son for us. Father, that's an amazing thought, that bringing glory to you was through death, but not just death, but through, through new life, that, that Jesus did rise again and made a way for us to be family, for us to be one with you, to, to remove uh, the, the false worship that we had in our lives. And so, Father, I pray that as we consider these things and as we go to the table and as we go throughout this week, that you would remind us of our desperate need of you and our desperate need um, to bring you glory only through yourself. And so, Lord, we, we ask that your spirit would rest on us and would remind us of those things and that you would call us into deeper truths in these things. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.